Okay, we've got a short passage today. We're looking at encounters with Jesus, and it's called Give to Caesar, question mark, give to God, exclamation mark. And once we look at uh, the first part of the passage, it's in two halves. So if you put up the first part of the passage, please, Tom. And let's read it uh, together. Why don't we read it together? Matthew 22, verse 15, together. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay tax to Caesar or not? Okay, just a few lines there, but what can we learn from it? And the first thing is there's a hostile climate. I don't know how you feel individually. I don't know how you feel as a Christian today. But Jesus operated in a hostile climate. And he proclaimed the gospel. What does the gospel mean? It means good news. God's good news for us. That's what Jesus was trying to communicate. Um, but he often worked in a hostile climate. Lots of ordinary people came along and they wanted to hear God's word, they wanted to experience healing. But the powers that be in that society were against Jesus, and particularly the the religious authorities and leaders were against him. They resented Jesus, they wanted to trip him up, uh, they wanted to get him arrested, and eventually they wanted to get him killed. And a hostile climate is something that, that you may be facing, and that we may face at times, and there are people around the world we thought about today that are really facing. And people might be hostile towards you personally, and you can't think, well, why? You know, I'm just trying to to do my best. I'm trying to do a good job. What am I doing wrong? But people may be against you personally, or people may be against you because they know you've got faith in Jesus. It's a, a real issue. It could be a boss from hell. Anyone got a boss from hell? Eleanor, no. (laughs) It could be a colleague who undermines you or bullies you. People might be able to get you uh, against you personally. It could be a friend or former friend that then turns against you. So the reality is we don't just go through life and it's easy at school or at college or at work. Uh, It's a hostile climate we we operate in. I was interested yesterday to hear the first uh, interview from her in Europe, Asiya Bibi. Do you remember in Pakistan, that blasphemy case where the other women in the village turned against this woman who's a Christian and uh, she was arrested, she was almost lynched, she was beaten up, she was in prison, uh, but through a long campaign. Uh, she's been released, she went to Canada, now she's living in France. So she was just talking about her experience of being ganged up on. Uh, and we, we're praying, hopefully, using that guide to pray through those persecuted nations where Christians are really at risk. So some parts of the world, it's really, really dangerous because of your faith. At other times, we're in a, a hostile climate that people have got something against us. And Jesus operated in that climate himself. It was a a speech trap. They wanted to trap him through something he said. And we need to be aware of that as well, don't we? We need to set a guard on our mouths. Uh, There's a a song, the the line is, my 
my mind is made up, but my mouth is undone. You, you kind of, something comes out wrong, and in this day and age, uh, what we put on the internet uh, can be dodgy, and we need to be very careful uh, and mindful of what we put out there, don't we? We don't want to say anything stupid, and I particularly don't want to say anything that reflects on God in a poor or bad way. But they were trying to trap Jesus in what he said. We need to be careful about what we say and how we say it. Also, there was some unrighteous collusion going on. Anyone felt bullied at work? Anyone been persecuted? Anyone been ganged up on? That unrighteous collusion can go on. And the Pharisees, a particular class of the religious leaders, uh, wanted to start this process of trapping Jesus. They were devout religious Jews, they were the God squad, they were like religious thought police. And then there's there's another group, the other group are called the Herodians. And if you know anything about the history, you know, King Herod, there were three Herods uh, in power, one after the other, and they weren't Jews, but they were ruling over Israel, supported by uh, the Romans. And so you had religious powers, And secular powers ganging up together against Jesus. And sometimes these things happen. A alliance of the religious and the secular. Odd bedfellows. They didn't agree with each other. They were against each other. But somehow they worked together to attack Jesus. And sometimes that happens to us. And surprising people kind of gang up on us and come against us if we operate in a, a hostile climate. Then there's a deceitful delegation. So they come up to try and uh, trick Jesus. And it's interesting as well that the leaders don't form this delegation. The Pharisee leaders and King Herod himself don't go. They send their minions along. So the Pharisee leaders send some of their disciples. Uh, Herod sends some of his supporters. And that's what happens. And sometimes we can be confronted by people or attacked by people, and it's not really their issue. They're a delegate on behalf of someone else. And sometimes maybe we get tanked up about an issue, uh, and we want to go and put it right because of our friend. But we need to be careful that we're, we're only addressing issues that are personal to us and not taking on someone else's cause so we can learn from that. So there was a deceitful delegation. And then they employ flattery. Who likes being flattered? You have to be careful, don't you? So they say, you're wonderful, you're full of integrity, Jesus, you speak the truth, you're no respecter of persons, you're not swayed by powerful people. They're trying to set him up to say something that will get him into trouble. So if people are being nice to you, uh, if they're good Christian friends, that's okay. If it's Paulette, it's all right, but uh, beware of flattery. And then finally we get the trap, and it's a trick question. And I think they spent a lot of time working on this question. How can we trap him? How can we trick him? It's getting nearer the end of his ministry. And uh, they think the tax question will work really well. And they thought it only had two possible answers. So if Jesus says, yes, pay the tax, then the Herodians would be happy. But Jesus would have publicly approved paying tax to the hated Roman army occupying so he would have been unpopular with the locals wouldn't he so that's one answer the other answer is no don't pay the tax 
The Pharisees would have been happy, but the Herodians would have reported him. And uh, Jesus is publicly advocating breaking the law. Let's get him arrested and let's get him imprisoned. So a trick question. Yes or no? That's how it's set up. What does Jesus do? Uh, Incidentally, what, what tax was it? Anyone know what tax was it? The poll tax. That's absolutely right. It says the tax. It's a poll tax. That's a per head tax. And it doesn't depend on what you own, what you earn. It's everyone pays the same. And people particularly hate poll taxes. And it was a reminder that uh, you were part of the occupied country and you all had to give the same tax to the Roman authorities. And it's quite a controversial issue, isn't it? If you're old enough, like Paul Glenn, you remember Margaret Thatcher tried to bring in a poll tax and there were riots on the streets. So quite a controversial thing. What's Jesus going to say? It's actually not a bad attempt to trap him. It's quite clever. They put a lot of thought into it. People might set traps for you. We get put in dilemmas, don't we? How do we respond? Does anyone know any other traps that Jesus was set? Can you think of any others? The woman that had come in, caught in the act of adultery, that was when about stoning. Yep, that's absolutely right. So they dragged this woman caught in adultery. The, the man's not dragged into the crowd. And they set, they, it says, if you read the passage in John 8, it was done as a trap for Jesus. What does he say? Uh, adultery is terrible. Stone her. Or I'm not bothered about it. Forgive her. And he has the wisdom of God. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And I loved it that in, in the worship, Psalm 91 came through. And uh, two things there, I think, are for today. One, uh, God will rescue you from every trap. We just got that in Psalm 91. Thank you, Debbie. I hope you feel better. It sounds like you're still a bit ill. God will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. So ward off the coronavirus as well as being protected from these traps. So people set traps. How do we respond? And... We're going to look at Jesus' response in a minute, but he does give us fantastic wisdom. He does give us a way through these dilemmas and tricks and traps. Uh, I remember a story back in the Soviet Union communist era uh, when a teacher found out that a girl in his class uh, was a Christian. So he wanted to ridicule her in front of the whole class. So you believe in God. How can you believe in God? I can't see God. If I could see him, maybe I'd believe in him, but I can't see him. Your faith is ridiculous. Trying to shame this girl in front of the whole class. And she had a response. And she said, excuse me, sir, are you pure in heart? And he stopped ranting at her. And she said, the Bible says the pure in heart will see God. Wonderful wisdom from God that breaks through in situations And often things are set up with kind of to try and put us in a yes-no situation that's wrong, isn't it? And Naomi was talking about assisted dying. There's an organization called Dignity in Dying, and they're campaigning for it. Uh, Is it right or wrong? Uh, People are having difficult situations near the end of life with various conditions. Should they be helped to die? It's a very real issue. It's a campaign issue. And the question is often posed in, in this kind of way with two options. 
do you want to watch people struggle and die in pain and agony or do you want them to let them die in peace and dignity? And it's put in that way. So what do you choose with those two options? Uh, and um, Naomi said that this body were infiltrated by someone that was a non-doctor on the board and they changed the policy for doctors. But there's been a campaign against that. And if there had been a change of law, it would have brought in physician-assisted suicide. So if a patient wants to die, the doctor would have to give them legal, lethal drugs. And then the doctors also, GPs, got advice from Canada and Holland saying, patients might request this, but is it really necessary medically? And people think, I don't want to be a burden on my relatives or the kids are waiting to inherit and more and more patients now in, in those countries are being given lethal drugs uh, and doctors giving, starting to give lethal drugs to sick children. And the doctors didn't want to do that. It's not a case of do you want to see people suffer terribly or do you want to let them die peacefully? And the doctors are saying, well, neither. The answer's in better palliative care, using the best we have in palliative care, not assisting people to commit suicide it's set up as a kind of dichotomy but actually the the answer is something better and we have got more and more understanding of palliative care dying isn't easy but there's not just those two views that you're hit with there is another way through and i think what will come out in jesus's answer is about the sanctity of life i think it's important to have that perspective when we deal with these difficult issues so let's look at jesus answer and uh, the school have got this wonderful new system in with a new projector, but it does jump around a bit, so we'll, we'll try and work on that for next week. Let's read this next section together. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. So that's how Jesus answers it. And let's look at uh, his response. He knows they're hostile. He knows they're hostile. And we want to pray when we're under attack or we're put in a difficult situation or asked a difficult question. Lord, is this of evil intent? Are people trying to trap me, trick me, set me up? Or is it a genuine question? And we need to know that kind of discernment. And Jesus could see into people's hearts. And we want to ask him for that ability to see whether it's genuine. I heard a guy talking and uh, he was in a lift and uh, uh, they got into conversation. It turned out this guy was a Christian. Uh, and the other guy in the lift started him asking, asking him some questions. And then the other guy said, yeah, why does God let suffering happen in the world? Obviously, that's a huge question. There are thoughts about it. There are answers to it. Uh, and we could give a whole session to that. Why does God allow suffering? And the Christian thought, I could just dive in with a kind of philosophical, theological explanation to that. But I want to discern what's going on. Is that a genuine question? What's going on here? So he just started talking to the guy. 
Uh, and rather than treating it as, well, that's a, a philosophical question, here's my stock answer, it turned out in the conversation that the guy who asked the question had had a three-year-old daughter who had died. So it's very, very personal. So you can kind of charge in with your best answer that you've honed and actually cause more damage. So we need to be discerning. What's going on here? Is it someone with evil intent? Is it a trick question? Or is there a genuine issue going on here? And Jesus can see into people's hearts. And he saw in this case, it was evil intent and it was a trick question. And Jesus presents a very effective response. He has a visual aid. And that makes it very powerful and memorable. Sometimes doing something, showing something can be really powerful in your answer. And the poll tax was paid with a denarius, a Roman coin, and it had Caesar's image on it and Caesar's name on it. But Jews were told not to have images and not to go with inscriptions. And so it was an issue for them to have these coins. And actually, because they were so sensitive... Uh, to it, Jews, they had separate coins, that plain coins that they used most of the time. And Jesus said, well, give me a coin. And it's interesting that these devout religious Jews could easily uh, produce this Roman coin that they were meant to, to not use. So that's quite easy to, interesting to catch them out. Um, and he gets the coin produced And then Jesus responds to their question with another question. And if you read the New Testament, he does that a lot of the time. And maybe we need to pray, how do we respond to difficult questions with other questions? He doesn't just answer people on their own terms. He takes the whole debate to a higher level. And he says, whose image is this? Whose inscription? And Jesus' question was superior to their questions. Uh, even though they thought long and hard about it, his question had only one possible answer, didn't it? Well, it's Caesar. is the only answer to that question. There weren't even two choices. And then Jesus says, give back to Caesar. It's interesting it's that way around as well. It's not just give to Caesar, but it's give back to Caesar. And that immediately takes some heat out of it, doesn't it? So it's not kind of, it's your money that you've got to give to Caesar. In a way, it's Caesar's money, and you've got to give this bit of it back to him. That immediately takes some of the heat out of it. And then he takes the whole issue to a much higher level. Give to Caesar what belongs to him, and give to God what belongs to God. And that statement of wisdom blasts the whole thing apart. And actually, they respond, wow, when they heard this, they were amazed Uh, And that word amazed is usually used when people see a miracle. So people saw a dead man rise, people saw a blind man healed, people saw a deaf person healed, and they were like, wow. And these people were wowed at Jesus' answer. And we've got a fantastic King Jesus that can give us extraordinary wisdom in the situations we find ourselves in. And the trap was sprung, and they went away, and they left him alone. And we want to have that kind of wisdom, that way through the pressures and the hostility. And it it happened in Solomon. You get the the prostitutes arguing over the baby, give me a sword, cut him in half. The mother was revealed uh, when she didn't want that to happen. You get Jesus saying, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. We want that kind of wisdom 
when we're under pressure. So what can we say at the end of of this? Uh, Probably we need to say, as a Christian, you still need to pay your taxes. Maybe we don't need a poll tax. Forget that. Get rid of the poll tax. Don't bring that in. But as a Christian, maybe we should pay our taxes. What do you think? Anyone regretting that Sajid Javid is not the Chancellor anymore? He was going to cut income tax by 2p. Are you happy with that policy? Wow, it's fantastic. You want to pay more tax. That's brilliant. But I have one thing to say to you. There is a sweetener. Okay, there's a sweetener. We have the, the marvels of gift aid these days. So you've paid tax on your giving. If you give to the church or to charity, we can claim back the tax you've already given. So it's, it's better than in Jesus' time. So if you give £100, you've paid tax on the money you own. So as a church, we can go to HMRC and see, say, give us the tax back. And they give us 25 quid. So effectively, you give 125 quid. So you need to pay your taxes but it's better than it was in Jesus' time. There's a wonderful thing around there. But secondly, and most importantly, we need to give ourselves fully and completely to God, don't we? Give to God what belongs to God, and that's you and that's me. We need to not be worried worried about finances, not be wondering whether we should give anything to God. We should just be giving ourselves to him. Because he loves us and he's given himself for us. And we're created in the image of God. If you put the next slide up, Tom. Genesis 1, 26, 27. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness. So they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals. And over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind In his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We're in the image of God. It's not just about that coin with Caesar's image and Caesar's name on it. We've got the stamp of the very living God on our lives. And there are no ordinary people. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, said this. There are no ordinary people. You've never met a mere mortal. There are no ordinary people. You've never met a mere mortal. The divine stamp is on humanity. We belong to God. We're created in God's image. And that makes us all incredibly valuable to God. And we need to respect and love and honor each other. It's not a physical resemblance. We don't know what God looks like. The Bible says that God is spirit. We call God Father, but he's not a bloke. Fathering and mothering come from God. Someone said this, the image of God, Latin imago Dei, refers to the immaterial part of humanity. It's a likeness mentally, morally, socially, and spiritually. Mentally, we can reason, we can choose, we can be creative. Morally, we're created in righteousness and innocence. We have a conscience or a moral compass Socially, we reflect the reality of who God is as a triune God in perfect relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit from all eternity. We were created for relationship with social beings. You can only really find out who you are in relationship with others. And spiritually, we have our own human spirit. 
And we come alive spiritually when God's Holy Spirit comes into our lives and gives us spiritual life, gives us eternal life. And God's delegated the authority for ruling this planet to men and women. And so there are no ordinary people. We're incredibly important, created for God to know him, to love him, and to rule and manage and steward this world for him. And we've got great worth. Our worth is connected to our creator. Just like that coin had a worth because it was connected to the emperor, our worth is connected to our creator. And if God is of great and inestimable worth, then human beings made in his image must be of great value too. And our worth was affirmed by our saviour Jesus. Jesus loved us and valued us so much that he went to the cross and died for us. And so how we treat other people is an indication of what we think of God and how we value God. We're not mere mortals. We're of great value indeed. So paying taxes may be a necessary part of life, but more than that, it's, it's what are we doing with ourselves? How are we living in the image of God? How are we responding to God? How are we reflecting his image to others? And if we bear the inscription of his name, Christians, Christians, how are we expressing that in a good way? The Pharisees' trap failed because Jesus transcended their dilemma. He totally trumps their question and expresses a much bigger principle of life. Give to the state, the limited Jew that's due to it, but give to God your life, your time, your resources, your loyalty, your all, because his image is on you and his name is on you. We just need to make ourselves available to him, to love him, to listen to him, to obey him, to serve him. Uh, It's wonderful. Christianity, real Christianity, isn't about, well, what can God do for me? It's about how can I live for God? The Christian life starts with total commitment. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've given your heart and life to Jesus. Uh, I did that when I was a teenager. And that was the start of my spiritual journey. And I just gave my whole self to God. It wasn't difficult to do. I didn't feel great about myself. Uh, I had lots of struggles and issues. I found it hard to make friends. I was getting increasingly paranoid and lonely. I wasn't doing God a favor. But I just said, it's yours, Lord. Have my life. I give it to you, and I've never regretted that. A few years later, I got baptized, and that's a bit of a scary thing to do. You're making a public declaration in front of family and friends standing up at the front. Uh, And then you get completely submerged in the water. You don't just kind of dip a finger in or dip an arm in but you're completely submerged, your whole body. And it's a wonderful thing just to be completely available to God. I remember a few years later going to a concert, this guy called Keith Green, who was uh, an excellent worship leader, songwriter, and he was just sold out for Jesus. He died, sadly, in a plane crash when he was 27 or 28. And they did a series of memorial concerts. And they did an appeal in the middle of it. If you will go anywhere for Jesus... Why don't you stand up where you are? And I stood up because I wanted to do that. I wanted to be available to God. That's the starting point of the Christian faith. 
And we need to just have that attitude, not to flog ourselves, not to do it in penance, and not to beat ourselves up, but just say, Lord, I'm yours. I bear your image as a human being. I've received your gift of salvation. Your name is on me as a Christian. I own that name. So, Lord, help me to live for you. Let everything of mine be yours. And maybe that's easy to do at the start of our Christian lives and harder to maintain. When I was preparing this last night, I was listening to Spotify, and a song I'd never heard before came on uh, by Maverick City called Take Me Back. And the constant refrain was, take me back to my first love. Take me back to my first love, all for Jesus. And if God's got your all, then he's got your resources. He's got our money. He's got our time. He's got our inclination. I remember sitting behind the wheel of a car uh, before I had driving lessons thinking, yeah, I'd love to drive. And when I drive, I can offer lifts to people. It's not just about me. It's about serving others. I remember starting to go to church and the offering was passed around and I thought I'd better put a few coins in. And then over the years I heard about giving responsibly to God. I heard about tithing. Tithing means giving 10% of your resources to God and his work. And so I started honoring God with my money. If I've given myself to him, then the money that represents my time and effort and energy, that should be given to him as well. If he's got my all, he's got my attention, he's got my stuff, he's got my desires and inclinations, and I can give freely to him. So it's a very simple story, and it's in two halves, and the one is around getting the wisdom of God, and maybe you'll be put in a difficult situation, or you have been in a difficult situation at work or at college, maybe it's Someone's got something against you. Maybe it's because of your faith. You know Jesus and he can give you the wisdom you need to reflect his image and come back with the right answer. And the trumping that, trumping paying tax to Caesar and coping with difficult questions is that wonderful proclamation that give it to God. Give your all to God serve him love him it's all yours Lord so it's not a problem to do what you want me to do so in a moment we'll we'll worship I'd love us to sing I come let us adore him again so if you could come forward Ruth now and be ready for that and then offer prayer so maybe some of you need prayer because you're really under pressure some of you need prayer because you're working in a hostile climate Some of us need help to to treat other people in the way that we should treat them because they're made in the image of God. Some of us need help to watch our, our lips and to say things that give a good impression of Jesus. And others of us maybe need prayer to give our lives to God fully for the first time or to be renewed in our first love and and to say, Yep, I'm just here for you, Jesus. It's all for you, Lord Jesus. So let's start to sing, come let us adore him, and then Paulette will lead us in prayer as we respond to him. But let's, let's say, I want you, Lord, I want to be in your image, I want to reflect you, I want to express your love.